Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather here this evening to worship you. Indeed, with our breaths, we can praise you and worship you and worship your mighty name. We pray that, that and thank you for the gift of your word. And we ask that even though our bodies may feel cold this evening, we pray that our hearts will be warm and open to receive your word. And as we think about your glory tonight, we pray that we can just see a glimpse of that through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, a very good evening to you. And uh, it seems, well, the countdown to Christmas has begun, hasn't it? Which, of course, means that on the TV, uh, they're going to start repeating all those Christmas specials again, aren't they? Like the 1978 Morgan Wise show and things like that. I don't know if you have a particular favourite, but when I was growing up, there was one programme that we always enjoyed watching together as a family, Grandma and everyone. And that was, of course, the Only Fools and Horses Christmas special. Who could forget... Trigger's 20-year-old room, the one that had 17 new handles and 12 new brushes. And in 1996, there was that famous episode, wasn't there, where the Trotter brothers finally became millionaires when they discovered and auctioned off that rare watch. And if you know what I'm talking about, you remember that scene when after the auction, Dale and Rodney are outside, Sotheby's in their van, and all of a sudden, you see that van shaking about as they, uh, the brothers whoop for joy inside. They simply couldn't restrain their joy any longer. Well, you may not have sold a watch for £6 million recently, but I wonder how do you react to great moments in your life? Perhaps it's that moment when you've passed an important exam, or you've got that job offer, or if you're a football fan... It might be the moment your team scores that winning goal. Maybe for Richard, it's Swindon when he gets a goal. I don't know if my dad seems to go wild whenever Southend uh, score a goal, although I don't think that's happened for quite a while. <laughs> On Christmas Day, how do you feel when you open up that gift that you really wanted? You know, wow, a nose hair trimmer, just what I really need. <laughs> or a set of Lego. Maybe for Tom, that's his favourite. I have to admit, there's nothing more joyful, is there, than uh, seeing the look of excitement and joy on a child's face when they're opening up a gift. They don't hold anything back, do they? Well, this evening, we're going to think about prayer and praise as we come to the end of this series on the Lord's Prayer. And we've seen, haven't we, how this prayer begins with a direct declaration of who God is, our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then he has this middle section, doesn't it? Asking our God for our daily bread, for forgiveness and protection from evil. But then it ends again, doesn't it, with a declaration of praise, a reminder of who God is. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
It ends as it begins, doesn't it? With a focus back on God. And when the focus is back on God, when we acknowledge his greatness, that affects us too, doesn't it? It strengthens our faith and it alters our perspective. It changes our attitude. I like these words from uh, the uh, Canadian theologian James Packer. He said, the more you praise, the more vigour you will have for prayer. And the more you pray, the more matter you will have for praise. It's almost like a, a cycle, isn't it? Aspiring cycle. I wonder, do our prayers end that way? Or do we often say amen perhaps too soon? Well, before we go any further to look into that, let me read tonight's reading, which uh, I'm taking from the Old Testament, which might come a bit surprise. And it's from uh, perhaps a book we don't often look at, from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, starting at verse 10. Uh, using these few Bibles, it's on page 433. And just to give you a bit of context, this shows a time when King David had, if you like, a Del Boy and Rodney moment in, in the van, when, when he just couldn't hold back any longer and his heart overflowed with joy towards God. The reason being that caused this joy was because all the people had generously donated all the building materials to help build the temple for his son Solomon. And, uh, and if you listen carefully, though, you'll note some similarities with the end of the Lord's Prayer. So here we go, starting from verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. I may have told this story before, but several years ago, I was lucky enough to uh, go to see the legendary jazz pianist Oscar Peterson at the Royal Albert Hall. And uh, he was in his 80s at that time. And as he slowly walked onto stage, the whole audience rose to their feet and just started applauding. He hadn't even played a single note yet, and we were applauding him. Why? It was simply because of who he was, wasn't it? This giant of the jazz world. And in a way, likewise, when we praise God, we praise him because of who he is, not just about what he has done. And think about this. God could choose not to answer any of our prayers, but he's still worthy of honour and worship. Well, let me give you three reasons this evening as we look at this more closely. Firstly, God is worthy of praise and worship because the kingdom is his. Yours is the kingdom. 
In other words, you, Lord, are king. When we pray, lead us not into temptation, it could be said that we are praying that we would not be turned towards another kingdom. We want to be in the kingdom where Jesus rules and which will last forever. And as Tom reminded us this morning, as we begin this season of Advent, that one day Jesus will come, will come back to bring in his kingdom. I hadn't really appreciated this until the other day, actually. Uh, as you probably know, the, the Queen, our present-day Queen, uh, she succeeded to the throne, didn't she? Apparently on the 6th of February, 1952, after her father, King George VI, died. And she was in Kenya at the time, and she became queen. And I don't know, I don't know about you, because when you see the documentaries, the next scene immediately shows the coronation. So you kind of, in my head, you kind of think, oh, it happens the next day, doesn't it? But of course it didn't. The coronation took place in June 1953, 18 months later. I didn't realise it was quite as long a gap as that. It reminds us that Jesus is king of this earth already. And whilst he is crowned in heaven, he's still to have his coronation day here, isn't he? Queen Elizabeth waited 18 months, and our Saviour's waited 2,000 years, but he's coming. Are you prepared to welcome him when he comes again in power and great glory? And secondly, we are reminded that God is worthy of praise and worship because all power is God's. See, we can pray with confidence, can't we, that God, because God has the power. I don't know if you've written out your list yet to Father Christmas, um, uh, but I was, as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking, you know, we ask Father Christmas for lots of things, uh, but we never ask him, do we, for the forgiveness of sins or to deliver us from evil. I know it's a deep, profound thought. I sometimes have these things. But, but why is that? Well, Father Christmas may look big, doesn't he? He looks quite big on the Christmas cards. But the truth of the matter is, Father Christmas just isn't big enough to deal with those things. He isn't powerful enough to save us from our sins and to deliver us. Only God is powerful enough to do that. Slightly obvious point, perhaps. But it also reminds us, too, that we need to depend on God. For it's only through God's power that sustains us through life. Uh, I came across this lovely illustration. It's about a lovely painting by a, a French artist uh, called Emile Renoff. I don't know if anyone's come across him. And it shows an old fisherman in a rowing boat together with a little girl, perhaps his granddaughter, and you've got the idea that perhaps he said to her that he would like her to row the boat. I've got it up on the screen here. So I thought, oh, I had, I had to look it up. I thought, oh, yeah, it's a really nice picture. And you kind of get the impression that, you know, she thinks she's rowing the boat, doesn't she? But the reality is maybe her grandfather or this fisherman is actually doing the rowing. He's using his strong arms rowing this boat through the water. And the title of this painting is called A Helping Hand. And in some ways, I think, it kind of illustrates, doesn't it, our relationship with God. As we have our hands to the oars 
rowing through the seas of life. It appears we're doing the rowing, but it's actually God's power behind us. See, for your Lord is the kingdom and the power. And thirdly then, for yours, Lord, is the glory. God is glorious, isn't he? Glory is one of those funny words, though, isn't it? Uh, in the songs, we've been talking about glory and glorious. And it's, it's one of those hard things to describe, isn't it? Even though we kind of know what it is. It's a bit like the word beauty. We use it quite often. I know what it means, but trying to define it is quite hard. Uh, but one of the Old Testament translations of the word glory literally means weighty which I thought was interesting something of substance and it's quite interesting because I thought many people today they often say oh I don't believe in God and all that stuff it's a bit hairy fairy I only believe in solid things well you can't get much heavier or solid than God can you and how does then God display his glory well, that's a big question. I'll be here all night trying to answer that. For in some ways, the whole Bible is the story of God's glory, isn't it? But tonight, as we begin to celebrate Christmas, we are perhaps reminded most of all that God chose to display his glory, not by might, but as a tiny baby in a stable. For it is in Jesus, isn't it, that we see the radiance of God's glory. It is in Jesus we see the glory of God at its brightest. Paul, when he was writing to the Hebrews, says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus' birth enables sinners like us to see God's glory now and forever in humanity in this reality that made the angels in heaven have their Del Boy and Rodney moment, didn't they? they? They rejoiced when the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds in the field, announcing the birth of Jesus. I was like, if you noticed in that story, there's like one, the angel of the Lord appeared, one angel, and then the whole army of, of angels then appeared. It was as if they couldn't restrain themselves anymore. They had to come along. And of course they said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. And when Jesus displays his glory, those that encounter it are changed forever, aren't they? It seems everyone who sees it is startled. Even when Jesus is in Mary's womb, we are told that John, who's in Elizabeth's womb, leapt for joy. And I love this point that even when water comes face to face with the glory of Jesus at a wedding in Cana, it blushes and turns into wine. As the transfiguration, sorry, at the transfiguration, we see another glimpse of just how mighty he is. And there's another interesting moment we're told in, in, the, in the Gospels when Jesus comes to be arrested in Gethsemane. John's Gospel tells us that Jesus asked, who is it you want? Is when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And when they said they were looking for Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus replied, I am he. 
And when Jesus said, I'm he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Always like the way John just says that and then just carries on as if it was just a small detail. But it just shows, isn't it, the strength and glory of who he is. It just knocks them off their feet. And then when Jesus dies on the cross and encounters the grave, even that could not contain him. On Easter morning, an angel rolled the stone away. And what happens? The guards fell down as though they were dead and Jesus was raised to life. God chooses, doesn't he, to display his greatest display of glory in the most darkest of hours. And of course, as I said before, at this Advent time, we are reminded that Jesus is going to come again in glory, this time unveiled glory, and every knee will bow. But here's the thing, though, isn't it? We still encounter Jesus today. He is still continuing to change hearts and lives. He wants us to share in his victory. No wonder, then, he deserves the glory to be honoured, praised and worshipped because of who he is and of the great things he has done. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Our relationship with God is forever. Unfortunately, we don't have enough time tonight to look or to fully understand God's glory. In fact, we don't have enough time in this lifetime, do we? to understand God's glory. In fact, we don't even have enough, well, even as the song Amazing Grace says, you know, when we've been there, is it 10,000 years or 100,000 years, bright shining as the sun, and we look at God for all those years, we will only understand a little bit more about his glory and love. God's glory will continue to unfold before us for eternity. Finally, it's good to be remembered this evening that we were created for God's glory. The reason we are here, the reason we exist, is to radiate God's glory to those around us so that they may get to glorify God too. We will then live out our work, our lives, and all that we do. Whether we're doing our work, whether we're cleaning out the dustbins, or doing brain surgery, or whatever we're doing, we can do that to the glory of God. The Lord's Prayer ends with one word, doesn't it? Amen. Which means more than just a yes, but it will be so. In other words, we're saying, I want to be a part of this. John, in the book of Revelations, he sees a preview of God's unfailed glory, and he proclaims, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Are we willing to echo that amen by living our lives for God's glory? Let's pray. Should we pray and close with the Lord's Prayer? Since we've close this uh, 
service today. Dear Heavenly Father, we forgive us for when we have demanded to build our own kingdom, for when we have relied on our own power and want glory for ourselves. Father, we pray that we'll be able to give you all the glory and praise you in all that we do in this week and days ahead. And maybe join together in saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Yours will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.